Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor and recover the sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, This is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, Undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me. Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there are many, many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city, city of Zarephath in the re region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elijah, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way.
Thank you so much, choir. So who is this man? Different people would answer that question different ways at different times throughout history. Who is this man? As Jesus got up that day to read in the synagogue, though, the answer would have been pretty clear. In his hometown, the place where he had grown up, the people who had known him since he was a little boy, the people who know everything about him, who've wanted to know what we have all desired to know, what happened to Jesus in his youth and in his young adult years. And so they would have answered, if you would ask them, who is this man? They would have said, this is Mary and Joseph's boy. He's the carpenter. Jesus has come to read like a, a good person of Jewish faith would. It's his time to read, to preach in the synagogue. They would have said, oh, look at Jesus. He's grown up. He's an adult now. Now, some would say that Jesus selected this text that he reads. Some would say that it was uh, the assigned text for the day, that he would have been forced to read it. But either way, we know that it is a spirit-led reading. It is a spirit-led sermon. And so consider this, as Jesus gets up to preach his first sermon, as he gets up, this is what he says to those gathered on that day. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, the gospel has been fulfilled in its hearing today today. Of course, this is from the prophet Isaiah. It is a text that religious people throughout years, throughout years have loved and cherished, and it has meant so much to them. Many people, for them, this is sort of their go-to verse when they are looking to read a piece of Scripture. And so think about of all the things that Jesus could have read, of all the things that he could have said, this, this is what he says. One of the reasons that so many people do not consider church or, or don't go to church or drop out of church is that they believe that it has no meaning to their daily life. They believe that what might happen on a Sunday in any particular congregation has no bearing on what they would do Monday through Saturday, that they say the church has either watered down the gospel so much that it does not mean anything, and so it doesn't apply to my life, to today's challenges. And they might say that the church, and maybe you felt that way before, maybe you feel that way today, that the church, the church just isn't relevant. It isn't relevant to what is going on around us today. By that same token, some would also say that the church is stuck in the past with a spirit of nostalgia for the good old days, which as we know, the good old days are never as good as they were before. 
or that we talk too much about the future, about some far-off distant time in which things will be better, in which we will find meaning in God, but we don't find it today. You know, I'll be honest, sometimes I go to clergy gatherings, and especially our disciples' clergy gatherings, and, and it's quite depressing. It's quite depressing because there's no hope for today. Clergy will sit around and talk about how it used to be. Or they'll point to a distant future in which things might become better. And so sometimes even those I leave worried about today. But then I'm reminded what Jesus says here at the end as he preaches, as he reads. He says specifically that, that today... Today, the Scripture has been fulfilled in its hearing. So not tomorrow, not yesterday, not in the way distant past, not in some way distant future, but today, today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, if we are looking for meaning in life and we are looking to build a life, the most important thing we will hear today is what we just heard. It is uniquely, although it was written many, many years ago, it is uniquely a word for today. Now let's be honest. We find comfort in the past. And we find comfort in the future. Because if we're thinking about the past, it's already happened. If we're thinking about the future, it's way off in the distance and we don't know what might become of it. We don't know where we will be. But today, today forces us to face reality. Today forces us into action. We have to do something today. And so today is a very dangerous spiritual reality. It is a very dangerous spiritual reality in that we can take control of things today. Something amazing and incredible can happen right now. I have no doubt that those people that showed up in the synagogue that day are much like those of us who show up today. We are looking to find meaning. We are looking to see how we are a part of the bigger world and we're curious as to what God is up to. And we, we desire meaning in our lives. You see it now in nonprofit organizations and even companies that advertise jobs. You'll read a job ad and they'll say, we're a mission-minded organization. And you think, wait a second, you're selling widgets. How are you a mission-minded organization? But there is a mission behind that. There is meaning. There is purpose to what we do. We purchase all sorts of books that will help us find meaning. Go take a look at the Amazon bestseller list right now. It's all books about how to have a better life. It's a new year. So we want to do things better. We want to find meaning. It was estimated last year that we in America, we spent $549 million on books specifically about finding meaning. And so we 
desire it. We desire something whole for our lives. But what Jesus seems to suggest this morning is that meaning is not that far off. That meaning may be closer and may be simpler than we could ever believe. We now, of course, know that Martin Luther King Jr. was a a prophet. He is a beacon of our time still today. But sometimes we forget that Martin Luther King Jr., before he became uh, the, the champion of civil rights, the American icon that he is, he was a local church pastor in Montgomery. And Here's what Dr. King understood, and he wrote this. He said, anybody can be great because anybody can serve. And you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. That's all you need to serve, he said. Now, I'm grateful, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that we don't have to know the, the, the theory of thermodynamics in order to serve. And someone out here may, someone in the congregation today may know that. It's probably a 10-year-old, let's be honest, but I'm grateful that we don't need to know that to serve in order to find meaning in our life. But what we can all do, and it doesn't take any special knowledge to do this. I mean, think about what Dr. King did as a local church pastor. But someone who lived with a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, became a champion for justice and for racial equality. What might it look like for us to live with a sort of heart full of grace and a soul generated by love? How might our lives and how might the world look different? It's pretty amazing to think about, and it's a pretty simple thing. A heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Now, you've probably seen or at least read To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. It's an American classic. And of course, Gregory Peck in the movie, he plays the role of Atticus, and he is defending an African-American gentleman in town who's been accused of the, the rape of a white woman. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it didn't take place, that this didn't happen, that the man is falsely accused and the the case is electrified. It's divided the town. And there is that scene where you see the courtroom on the the day of the verdict and all the white people in town are are shoved into the, the bottom level of the courthouse. And in the balcony sits all the African-American people in town. You see this racial division. They're all there to hear the verdict. And after Atticus Finch has done his best to no avail, he's packing up his papers. He slowly walks to the back of the courtroom. Now Atticus's daughter, Scout, is sitting in the upper level of the courtroom. She's sitting with the African-American community. They have 
welcomed her in. And as Atticus is walking to the back of the courtroom, you may remember this scene. Everyone in the balcony stands up. Everyone in the balcony stands up and they begin clapping for Atticus, a man. They're showing respect for a man who has fought for justice, who has fought against the sin of racism. And Scout's sitting there and trying to figure out what's going on, why everyone's standing around her. And finally, the reverend, the reverend taps her on the shoulder and says, stand up. Your father's passing by. I love that scene because it reminds us that if we are to find meaning in our life, at some point we've got to stand up. Perhaps that's what Jesus is doing that day as he gathers uh, for worship. It's his time to say what his ministry is going to be about, and so he takes a stand. He takes a stand for the poor. He takes a stand for those held captive. He takes a stand for those who are oppressed. And he promises to bring liberation for all. There's no doubt after this, at least for those who heard that day, who Jesus is and what Jesus is about and what we those of us who were attempting and doing our best to follow Jesus what we should do and what we should be about you see maybe that's what we need we don't necessarily need a new life and maybe we don't need a self-help book but maybe what we do need is a reminder of what we can do Maybe we need a reminder of who, who we can be. I mean, think about those that day in the synagogue gathered as we are. Jesus gets up to speak. What those people didn't need was a new diet. They didn't need a new workout plan. They didn't need to manage their time more wisely. What they needed was a life. What they needed was a purpose. What they really needed was to know that God had empowered them to do many great things, that it was God, it was God that was holding their life. That's what they really needed. They needed to be reminded who they were and what they were to be about. Now, we can't talk about who Jesus is without talking about the fact that Jesus was and is a great teacher. And probably most, if not all of us today, can still name off the teachers that made an impact on our lives. If you're a student you probably remember this, in the middle of a lecture, because sometimes in classes you're not really interested in, lectures can get pretty tedious, and inevitably someone in the class in the middle of a lecture will raise their hand like this, and they'll ask a question, and the teacher is very annoyed because this person has interrupted them, and they'll ask, is this on the test? 
Is this on the test? And of course, why, teachers, this is true, right? Why do we ask if it's on the test? That's code for, do I need to write this down? Because if not, I'm going to check out for a minute, like you've probably done during a sermon before. I'm going to check out for a minute until I need to pay attention again. But the best teachers don't just teach us, they inspire us. They aren't simply dumping information to us so that we may discern whether it's going to be on the test or not, but they inspire us. They lift us up. They carry us. Jesus was recognized even in his day as a great teacher, and not a single person wrote anything down that he taught until much later, perhaps 30 or 40 years later, when someone thought, you know, we might ought to write this down and still look at the impact he had. You didn't need to write down what Jesus taught because it went straight to your heart. It went straight to your soul. It inspired you. It told you what God stood for. There's a lot of talk about what God stands for and what God finds to be important. I love what William Barber II says. He says, I'm concerned with people who say so much about what God says so little about while saying so little about what God says so much about. What Jesus says today is what God says a lot about. It's where we find meaning. It's where we learn to take a stand. It's where we are empowered to do great things. Jesus' words tell us about the heart of God, that which is passionate for God. God's Spirit is on me, Jesus says. God's chosen me to preach a message of good news to the poor, pardon to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burden and the battered free. And this isn't going to happen in some distant future. It's going to happen today, he says. It's going to happen today. Now let's be honest, sometimes the things that God says a lot about, we wish God didn't talk about quite as much. These words probably fall into this category. William Barber is probably right about that. It's more comforting to talk about those things that God doesn't talk about very much. But if we are to take seriously who Jesus is and what it might look like to build a life around following Jesus, then we have to Listen to what God says a lot about. It may make us uncomfortable. It may make us a little nervous. It may go against everything that we've always wanted to believe. But we can't ignore it. 
if we want to find meaning for today, if we want to know really what we can do as individuals and as a congregation, what God has designed for us to do, then we cannot ignore the heart of God. We just can't do it. If we want the Gospel of today to be meaningful, then we have to know where God finds meaning and what type of meaning God intends for our life. Now, it may not be easy to hear. Jesus' hometown, I don't know if you caught this when Sharon read it, when Jesus gets finished talking, his hometown wants to throw him off a cliff. How many sermons have you heard where you wanted to throw the preacher off a cliff afterwards? Thank God we're in relatively flat land here. They want to throw Jesus off a cliff. But sometimes what we need to hear the most, sometimes what God desires for us to hear is not always easy to hear. After all, if it was easy, it would not have so much meaning. This is the most relevant, the most powerful thing that you will hear today. Life's meaning is right here before you. What you are meant to do, who you were meant to be, is right here before you in a gospel that is perfect for today. If we might live with a heart full of grace, with a, a soul A soul powered by love. Everything you're looking for is right here. If only you can open your hands, open your heart, and fully receive the gospel of today. Dr. Martin Luther King was once asked, if you knew today that you would die tomorrow, what would you do today?
without hesitation, he said, I would plant trees. And that he did. He planted trees of tolerance and mutuality and dignity for all people, and especially opportunity for people of color. I have been remembering that quote and that part about planting trees today since I knew what Danny, where he was going with this sermon and that I would be standing at this table. And so I began to ask myself, how do we understand this table? And what happened at that table when Jesus knew his today was his last day, the day before his death? And so I've been thinking about some trees that we might understand from what happened. First, he planted a tree of community. He gathered with his followers. The tree was just a small seedling at that time, but now it is a vast forest of over two million that spreads around the world. And in planting that tree of community, he gave to us a freedom from loneliness, our freedom from overwhelm at the task God has set before us as followers of the Christ. And then I thought about bread, that in the bread he gave us a gift of trust in the presence of God. It's my body, he said. The simplest everyday element of everyone's life in some form or another, all around the world, especially now that we've got gluten-free stuff, bread. And in that everyday, simple, recurring, recurring, recurring part of human life, his body, God incarnate, the word made flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And I thought, well, if there's some other trees here. And I thought about the cup, how it represented the tree of forgiveness that he planted with us. That through the cup, we are freed from guilt, from shame, from bitterness, freed of all of that to live the life we're called to live. And so I began to think there was really one more very important tree planted here, one very important gift from that last day of his life, a tree of purpose. For he said, in community, trusting the presence of God with us, accepting that we are forgiven and free to move on from the pain and anguish of life. He planted a tree of purpose saying, remember me. Let me live again in and through you, a member again with you. That in you, in your life, in your community, through you, good news can be preached to the poor. Release to the captives the recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom 
to all those who are oppressed. The good news of God's love and grace for all people proclaimed today. Let us pray. Good morning, God. As we come to your table, we're reminded that you did create us as individuals. We have different talents, different looks, personalities, even different colors. But let us remember we are all part of the great puzzle of your creation where we come together as one, every individual, a piece as a part of the puzzle of the whole. We share the knowledge knowing the difference in talents does not equal difference in humanity. We are all one in God. May we always treat each other with that respect. Amen. So let us remember and reenact again the meaning of this table. How on that night when he gathered in community with his followers, he took a loaf of bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body for you. In like manner, after supper, he took a cup. He gave thanks. And then he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And then he said, As often as you are gathered together to eat the bread and share the cup, Remember, remember me, remember. And so today, whoever you are and wherever you are on your journey to God, there is a place for you. We invite you to share, to remember, and to be the meaning of this table with us. 